Thank you so much. That'll be sung at the ladies' conference, and I love that. That's a brand new song. I love that one. Let me see. Brother Steve, where are you? Uh, we need a couple of the air units on. I see several, several people uh, fanning, and we want it comfortable in here tonight. Well, thank you for being faithful. I felt led tonight. Doctor said I need to take it easy this week a little. In fact, I'm supposed to be in bed all week, and I did not obey the doctor's orders. So uh, tonight, you're going to hear a message from God's Word from Brother Jonathan. And I'm going to be sit, sitting there as the student, because anytime this Word is open, there's something I need to hear. Open your hearts. Give him a warm welcome as he comes to speak, please. Okay, great. Okay, we're on. Let's go ahead and take our Bibles. We're going to open them up to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 20. Deuteronomy, chapter number 20. And then uh, later on, we're going to go to 2 Kings, chapter number 3. So if you want to um, put a bookmarker there, 2 Kings 3, and then we'll start in Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 20. And I never take an opportunity uh, like this lightly. Um, it was just an incredible morning uh, today to see, uh, to see guests, to see just the spirit of the church. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be the reason to, to stop something like that. I just want God to, to, to use me and use his word tonight. And I hope that's your prayer too. Um, this is, um, this is a text I've never preached from. And I, I really believe that there's a principle here that if we understand it and, uh, and we grab a hold of it, it's going to change some things. And so I hope you pay attention tonight. Deuteronomy chapter number 20 and then I'm going to start reading into verse number 19. It's going to seem like a very unusual passage, but we're going to explain it and it'll be practical. Deuteronomy 20, verse 19. Okay, and this is the instructions that Moses is giving the children of Israel about when they go to war. And it says, When thou shalt besiege a city a long time in making war against it to take it, thou shalt not destroy the trees, therefore by forcing an axe against them. For thou mayest eat of them... And thou shalt not cut them down, for the tree of the field is man's life, to employ them in the siege. Verse 20. Only the trees which thou knowest that they be not trees for meat or for food, right, they're not fruit trees, thou shalt uh, destroy and cut them down, and thou shalt build bulwarks against the city to make war with thee until it be subdued. All right, so this passage is describing uh, some rules of conduct when the children of Israel go to war, okay, uh, just like nowadays there are some agreed-upon rules of engagement, right? You break those rules, and they're called war crimes, right? You, you've, you've heard that term before, okay? So even in war, a brutal, uh, terrible time, there are certain things that if you cross this line, that's a war crime. That's something that goes way over the line uh, in, in war, okay? So a lot of these laws that you read in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, you read them and they seem so foreign, okay? It's like, why in the world? I can understand why this would have been practical to Moses, okay, to the children of Israel, but you and I, we're not going against the Canaanites anytime soon, okay? Uh, like, you know, this, this is not something that I'm planning on doing is going to fight the Hittites, right? It's, uh, so, so why is this here for me? Like, what, uh, what, what can we uh, get from this? And the really important thing to note is that every single law that you and I read in the Old Testament, especially those three books, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, um, and a little bit of numbers there too. There's lots and lots of laws. Every single one of them has a principle underneath the law. Amen. 
there's a reason why it's there, and every single one of those laws teach us a little bit about the heart of God, okay? And so um, the, the idea is that we know what is ethical, what is good and what is not good, what is good and what is bad. We know what the right choice to make and the wrong choice to make in a certain situation if we understand the heart of God. And so understanding this principle behind this kind of weird law here will help us understand the heart of God better and help us make better decisions in life, okay? That's the idea. And um, this, this whole law that we're going to learn about tonight uh, is, a, again, it's a strange one. But it's, it's the message tonight is don't chop down the fruit trees. Don't chop down the fruit trees. There's a reason, and we're going to learn a little bit um, about... Uh, about this law and why it's important. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, I pray that you'd bless the preaching of your word. I pray that this would be very clear and that it would be very practical, that you would help us and especially help us as we prepare for ladies' conference in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So uh, first of all here, when you read the law, a lot of times it's very, very boring. Okay. It's almost like if, um, if you were a lawyer and you're reading through a list, of, um, a list of laws for the state of California, it can be very, very boring. But ima- imagine it like this. Okay. When, when America first um, you know, declared uh, independence and our founding fathers were creating the Constitution, those laws that they put down were very, very important because they were very different than way over yonder in England. You understand? Uh, The Constitution, the Bill of Rights, um, the freedom of religion, uh, the freedom of the press, right? Uh, all, All of these freedoms, people were rushing over here because they wanted to be able to worship the Lord in the way they wanted to. They didn't want to be tied to the Church of England and this and that. Like, people come here from other countries still today, and they say, I am here because I love this uh, America's Constitution. I can say what I want to and have the freedom of speech and not be a, afraid of being put in, jail, uh, put in jail for it and so forth. Whereas we may take it for granted, and we're like, well, of course. But compared to other countries that don't have freedoms, the Constitution is a huge thing. It's an important thing. It's a big thing. Okay, when we read the when we read the law of God, sometimes we don't uh, we don't understand the significance, like why this is so important, because we may not understand what other uh, countries around them uh, what their laws were. Okay, so just let me give you a, a couple uh, for instances. So, like the Hittites and the like, the law code of Hammurabi, all of these uh, law codes that we have today. When we read the law of Moses compared to them, some of these things uh, were very different. For instance, um, in some of these other law codes, if you had, um, uh, if, a, if a roofer uh, built, a, built a roof and it was a bad roof and it collapsed and it fell and it killed um, one, of the, one of the children, one of the sons inside the house, all of the other law codes around, the, the Canaanite laws said that uh, the person who roofed that roof will die, and his son will die, because the other guy's son died. You see, in the law, in the law of Moses, right, God's law, it's no only the person who did the crime 
is going to have the punishment. You don't put it on the, the sons and the daughters and so forth, right? Um, and there's many, many others that I could go into, but this is why uh, God's law was so important. And here's one that's kind of weird. And uh, uh, the Lord says, when you go up to war and you're making war against people, you're not to cut down the fruit trees. Okay, what in the world does that, <laughs> does that mean? And, and why is this important here? Okay, so you imagine, um, you imagine here's, here's Israel, right? And uh, they're in the middle of Canaan land. And maybe there's um, some, some neighboring um, cities, some neighboring countries on the outside. And they're making kind of these, these raids and attacks. And they're, um, they're hurting your people, right? And so uh, the, uh, the, the, the children of Israel would go out and they would have a, a needed war. Not one that they wanted to fight. They're not trying to like expand their borders, right? They're just trying to defend themselves, Okay, God says that when that happens, and, it, and sometimes it, these things happen, right? When you do that, you're not to cut down the fruit trees, all right? So, um, so here's, a, uh, here's an illustration. The, uh, the Assyrians and people like um, the, the Cushites, and we, we have some of these records here. Uh, one of the kings that, that went up and attacked another town, he says this, I desolated uh, his towns and his tribes, and I set fire to them. Uh, he said that I captured all their people, carried off all their living prisoners, the cattle uh, thereof without limit, and I carried off their goods as well. I took away the very sources of life, for I cut down their grain and felled their groves and all their pleasant trees. I destroyed it, uh, and it became a place whereon there are no trees. What what What, what this is saying is that in that time, okay, a common tactic in war, every other country besides Israel, what they would do when they would attack people is not only attack the city, they would cut off all the food supply altogether, okay? So all of their sources of food, these, these orchards, right, um, you know, their, their cattle, they'd kill all the cattle, they'd chop down all the trees, and that'd be like, you know, burning down all the grocery stores, Okay, uh, there, there's not much we can do in a couple days without grocery stores, uh, let, alone, uh, let alone a couple years. It takes a couple years for a young tree to, to grow up again, right, and to bear fruit. And the Lord says that when you go to a necessary battle that you're going to fight, you're not going to go overboard and overkill. Amen. You're going to do what you need to do, Amen. but you're not going to... Um, make it so no one can survive at all ever again, okay? You understand? That's kind of the, the history there. Okay, so practically these fruit trees are spared because um, the people who are doing the siege, they're attacking, they need something to eat, okay? So it's kind of dumb to cut down these trees when they're the source of your food, okay? Secondly, the trees, of course, didn't do anything wrong, okay? <laughs> Obviously, uh, in, in the passage here, like it, it literally gives that explanation, like why are you cutting down the trees? You're supposed to be, you know, um, going to war against the people, not the trees. Okay, so, um, so warfare is conducted on men, not trees. What, what does this mean? Sometimes when we feel we need to get even with somebody, okay, we take it out on the next best thing if they're not there. Okay, so you remember the, the illustration of Saul, right? Saul's planning on killing David. He's at the, he's at the dinner table, and David's not there because he's wise to the fact, right? Um, 
David's friend Jonathan is there. And Saul says, hey, hey, Jonathan, where's, where's David? And he gives him like this kind of, you know, uh, cryptic answer. And then Saul picks up a spear and throws it at Jonathan. Why? Because David wasn't there, <laughs> right? And so it's like, you know, I, I can't kill him, but I can kill you. And that's kind of sort of the same thing, <laughs> right? Um, what, why, would they, uh, why would they need to spare these fruit trees? Thank you for sticking with me. I am going somewhere. Um, because those who would survive after the war, after that battle, um, after that siege, they would need food. Amen. Okay? Um, so the wars we're talking about, they were to like make, uh, make the enemy stop. They were for defense, right? They're not, uh, they're not so that Israel could go out and they could conquer a new people and expand their borders. Um, the Lord was never for that at all, right? So what we're talking about is a necessary war and then they come back, meaning that there's going to be a lot of people left over, yes? Okay. A lot of children, a lot of old people, a lot of people that are not soldiers at all, right? Okay? And you cut off everything they can possibly eat, okay? You're now starving them to death. You are ensuring that these people are not going to survive this at all. And you know what that is? That's fighting a war with spite, right? Um, that, that is... Not only battling, that's crossing a line, okay, uh, a big line. Um, and so uh, trees need several years to grow to bear fruit again. So going three or four years is, is a long, long wait. They're going to starve to death or they're going to relocate, all right? There's no reason then for why, uh, why one should make future generations suffer because of the sins of their parents, Right? Okay? So you understand kind of where I'm going with this. In the cases where you'd eventually occupy the city, sometimes Israel was told, like, you're coming into the city and you're actually going to occupy it. Okay? Like, these people are going to be living alongside with you, but you're going to occupy the city. It would just be really dumb for them to chop down all the fruit trees because that's their source of food. You understand? Okay. Um, so it's not only good for them, but it's good for you. And so you've heard the, you've heard the phrase like, uh, don't bite the hand that feeds you, right? It's just kind of a, a smart thing. Uh, someone once said, you can shear a sheep many times, you can kill it once, Amen. right? Uh, and so th this is what we're talking about. So it's not only ruthless to cut down all these food-producing trees around the city, it's also really dumb, okay? So quite literally, it's fruitless, all right? All right, so... Killing fruit trees is fruitless. Say, the whole point of taking the land of Canaan, you remember this? The whole point of going into the promised land was to enjoy it. It's a, it's a land flowing with milk and honey, but not if you kill all the cows and kill all the bees, okay? You don't get no milk and honey if you don't have cows and bees, okay? You don't get fruit if there's no fruit trees. Are you, are you understanding what I'm saying so far? We're going to get into why this matters in a second here, okay? So uh, why was it important to spare these fruit trees? Because God is for restoration and redemption, not for extermination and annihilation, Amen. you see? The whole point, okay, for the children of Israel going into the promised land, okay, was for them to be a light to the nations, right? It was the Old Testament Great Commission, 
right? This is how you get the good news about the one true God to everybody by putting them right in the middle of this little place called Israel where everyone's going to be passing through all the time, okay? And you're not going to make for a very good witness if you're slaughtering everybody and not leaving any neighbors at all, okay? Uh, I think you understand. God's whole pattern throughout the entire Bible is one of restoration and redemption, okay? So he expels his people out of the promised land, and they go into captivity in Babylon, right? But he brings them back again. You understand? The captivity was to teach them a lesson. It was kind of like the timeout moment. But his whole purpose was to make them learn the lesson and then come back, not to kick them out forever, right? God expelled Adam and Eve out from the Garden of Eden. You remember this story in Genesis 3? And then from Genesis 3 all the way to the book of Revelation is the story about God restoring us back into fellowship with him. It could have been very, very easy, okay, for the Lord, right when Adam and Eve sinned, is to say, okay, we're done, you know, this little experiment we had, like, we're no more of this, okay? But he went through the painstaking process all the way from there to the cross of redeeming humanity back to himself so we could have a relationship with God, right? God humbled Nebuchadnezzar, right? This proud, proud king humbled him. Um, this, this king who thought that, you know, he was all that, now he's acting like a cow. Then he restores him back. Why? So he could be humble before God and be converted. God destroys the world with a flood, but he doesn't wipe out everything, Okay? He spares uh, Noah and his family, and he's going to restore us again. You understand, you understand what, what's happening here. When in the book of Revelation, when God create, when it says that um, we're going to be living in a new heaven and a new earth, it does not mean that at the end of time, God's going to like blow up the earth okay, and create a brand new one. What he's going to do is he, he's going to purge the existing one Amen. and then restore it to like the Garden of Eden, like the way it was supposed to be. God is not for total destruction. He's for restoration. Okay? Um, But you don't get restoration when you go overboard and cut the fruit tree at the roots. Okay? Uh, So Jesus rebukes Peter, but then restores him, and so forth. The Psalms are full of verses that say, Lord, please restore us again. Help us return again because God is the God of restoration and redemption, right? That's his, that's his whole purpose. So if you take a, if you take a soda can, right, you, you finish drinking your soda, you have two options to throw the soda can in, the garbage bin and the recycling bin. One option in the garbage can, okay, it's just to get rid of the soda can, If you put it in the recycling bin, it is to reuse it again, right? God is always the God of uh, recycling and reusing and restoration. He says in Jeremiah, For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee. Though I make a full end of all nations, whether I have scattered thee, yet I will not make a full end of thee, but I will correct thee in measure and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. You see? Okay. There's a huge difference between destroying completely and chastening justly. Okay? Uh, one is cancel culture. The other is punishment that fits the crime. Okay. 
The law of the fruit trees. Here's what it is. God is not advocating for a scorched earth policy. Okay? You, you, you've heard that term before, scorched earth. Okay? Is when you go way, way overboard in correcting a problem. Okay? God is for renovating, for restoration. You, uh, you've heard the illustration. Maybe there's a mosquito buzzing around your house. Okay? And you want to get rid of the mosquito. Okay, one option is you can use an atom bomb and blow up the mosquito. But you also don't have a home anymore. Okay? <laughs> you got rid of the mosquito, you blew up the city, right? Um, that, that's scorched earth. We have a little um, Microsoft DOS game that, uh, that me and my little boys play. Brother Miracle introduced me to it. And it's this, like, one step above like Atari, okay? It's this really pixelated, uh, terrible-looking uh, game, but it's a tank game, and so you're firing at the other tanks, okay? And it's called Scorched Earth, and you can buy little weapons, and so all it is is you have, uh, you have uh, zero to 100 in power, and then you have the angle, so you're saying, boom, you know, you're trying to, uh, you know, uh, uh, shoot, shoot the other tanks, right? And so all these weapons you can buy, you can buy like um, a nuke or napalm, or you can buy this one thing called the death's head, right? It's the, the ultimate weapon you can buy. And when you use the death's head, though, it's like, you know, a hundred nukes come in the sky and then blow up absolutely every tank, right? So you're ensuring that you get the other guys, but you lose two, Okay. <laughs> Um, so every, anytime we play, J. Michael's like, no, no one can get the death's head. Okay, that's the rule. <laughs> because it's kind of pointless, all right? Uh, that, that's the idea. So, um, so correction, the idea is to be done with the aim of restoring and redeeming, not criticizing and crushing. Okay? Um, and, and this is where we're, we, we want to get real practical, Okay? These laws in Deuteronomy uh, 19 are teaching the children of Israel what mindset they need to have towards other people, especially people that are their enemies, people that they disagree with, okay? Um, That tells us how we need to act towards other people who we disagree with, who are our enemies, who are in the wrong, okay? Um, They are to be a light to the nations, um, it's, it's a very difficult thing to really be at odds with somebody and have, I mean, you have an issue with them, but you're still a Christian and you want to win them to the Lord, okay? Amen. When you cut down the fruit tree, okay, you leave no option for witnessing. Amen. All right, I'll, I'll go into some illustrations in a second. Kindness is the ability to treat your enemies decently, okay? There is a huge, huge difference between winning an argument and winning the person. Amen. Okay? A lot of times when we, when we know what the truth is, okay, and we want to take a big stand, we want to win the argument, and so we kind of like drop a truth bomb on somebody, but we're not trying to persuade anything, uh, anyone. We're not trying to win the person. We're trying to win the argument. All right? Uh, let, me give, let me give you some illustrations real quick. Okay? So uh, you think of... Say, uh, say you have extended family, right? And you're having a reunion. You're having a family reunion, and of course they have to schedule it on what day? Sunday. Sunday. Okay. So of course, here's, uh, here's what we do. We, send a, we, we start by sending a group text to all of the family, okay? And here's how it goes. Um, all the words are in all caps. It goes something like this. What are you thinking? 
having a reunion on Sunday. Every single one of you know that we go to church on Sunday. And uh, all you're wanting to do is make us look bad and look like the bad guys for not coming to the reunion. That's not what families do. If you had any decency at all and acted like human beings, you would know that. Okay? All right. Two words. Fruit trees. All right? That's going to take a long time to recover from. Okay? When you chop down the fruit tree... You have to wait years for it to come back. You have to baby that thing again, big time. There's a way of approaching that without going scorched earth. You see? We're trying to win our extended family, not just give them truth and slap them in the face with it. You understand? Uh, when you get saved and you're so excited that you got saved, okay? You have the truth. You've been lied to all your life, okay? Let's, let's say that you came from, um, you used to be a Mormon, all right? So um, now all of your friends, all of your family are Mormon. You're the only one. And you've been saved for two days. You've been a Christian for two days, okay? So what do you do, of course? You go back to your family and you unleash a fire hose of information at them, okay? Uh, you, you go and you say, do you, did you know that Joseph Smith, the guy who started the Mormon religion, he was a psychopathic cult leader, okay? He was a polygamist. He was a racist. And for 140 years, the Mormon church thought that black people did not have souls. I cannot believe you're in this cult. And, and you keep going on and going on. Fruit trees. Why? Uh, what, what, what's this principle? What's the likelihood that your family is going to let you share the gospel with them anytime soon? Very, very low. Very, very low. This is the principle that I'm trying to get across. There is a way of going to battle, so to speak, okay, without destroying the fruit trees. And that is the principle because that's the whole idea. God was trying to have his children, the children of Israel, have a mindset of winning people that for a time might be your enemies, okay? But there's a way of treating people without crossing the line into going into war crimes, all right? The, 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 this applies to me and you. Um, say, say you're teaching a lesson, okay? You're teaching a Sunday school lesson, and you have prepared, and this one kid, he's talking in class, and he will not stop talking, and it's annoying you, all right? It's getting on your nerves, and talk, 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 talk. There are two ways of, of doing this, okay? Right? One, I mean, you can have a, you can have a worker sit by this, this kid or take him for a drink of water, right? And it's not embarrassing at all, and the kid doesn't even understand that you're correcting him. There's a second way of blowing up completely and unleashing on this child, okay? Now they're crying, and they're all embarrassed, and everyone's looking at them. What are the chances they're going to come back next week? Very, very low. Okay? But, but both ways, you're giving them truth, but you're trying to win the argument and not the person. Okay? Um, if we're keeping this idea in mind about going and um, uh, facing a difficult issue that you have to confront, you can go into it with this person's eternity in mind or with your own ego in mind, Amen. right? It's just kind of wrong, right, 
to, uh, to in war, you're chopping off all of their uh, food supply altogether. That's just, I mean, something inside you says, that's, that's just wrong. You, can you imagine, like, you're, here's your enemies, they're on the wall, right? They're looking over, and this is a siege. A siege means that you've blocked off all of the entrances and exits. They're kind of like starving in there, okay? And then day after day, they're kind of poking their head, are, is, are you guys still there? And then they're seeing you lighting their trees on fire or chopping them down. And now the only food source they have left, you've wiped out. That does something to you psychologically, right? God wasn't for that. God has never been for torture. God has never been for psychological torture or anything else. What what kind of God that we serve, he uses a scalpel to do surgery, not a chainsaw. Okay? One is going to do the very minimal necessary harm to fix a problem, and the other is going to do real damage. Right? And we have a choice uh, every single time uh, what, what we want to do. Uh, I told you to, um, uh, to save a place there in 2 Kings chapter number 3. We'll go really quickly. I want to show you something real quick. 2 Kings chapter number, tw- uh, number 3. Uh, this is my favorite character, Elisha. He shows up here. Okay? 2 Kings 3, and I'll read really quick. In verse number 1, Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel and Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. 2 Kings 3, 2. And he wrought evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and like his mother, for he put away the image of Baal that his father had had made. Nevertheless, he clave to the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, uh, which made Israel to sin. And departed not there uh, therefrom. Okay, so we get the picture. He's a bad king. Uh, he's not doing good in the sight of the Lord. Now, verse four. Here's here's what happens. His son comes to the throne, and this other guy, uh, Mesha. We'll read about him in verse four. And Mesha, king of Moab, was a sheep master, and rendered unto the king of Israel a hundred thousand lambs and a hundred thousand rams with wool. Okay. So Jehoram, the evil king okay, of, of Israel, he is taxing this other guy, this other king, and he is making him pay each year 100,000 sheep and 100,000 rams. That's a lot. Okay? I don't know a whole lot about, um, uh, about farming and shepherding, but I know 100,000 sheep is a lot of sheep. Okay? Um, and it says, verse 5, But it came to pass when Ahab was dead that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. Okay, now the story goes that Jehoram is really mad. Okay, he had this king kind of under his thumb. He was getting a lot of money from him. He was getting a lot of taxes. Okay, and now this, uh, this other king of Moab, he says, I'm not paying you guys anymore. Okay, I'm done. Ahab's dead. Uh, you're on the throne. I'm not going to pay any more taxes. Jehoram gets mad and groups a couple other kings together and says, let's go to war against this guy. Okay, you understand so far. So he gets Elisha and he says, hey, Elisha, He's the good prophet of God, and he says, is this a good idea, us going to war against him? Elisha never says, yes, this is great, okay? But he predicts what's going to happen. Verse number 19, uh, 319, he says, And ye shall smite every fenced city and every choice city, and shall fell every good tree, that's the fruit trees, 
and stop all the wells of water and mar every good piece of land with stones. And it came to pass in the morning when the meat offering was offered that, behold, there came water by the way of Edom, and the country was filled with water. He says, here's what's going to happen. You guys are going to attack this guy, and what you're going to do, you're going to throw huge stones in all the wells so they can't drink any water. And you're going to uh, cut down all of the fruit trees so they can't eat anything. And you're going to um, utterly demolish this guy's kingdom. Verse 24. Here's what happens. Okay? And when they came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up and smote the Moabites so that they fled before him. But they went forward smiting the Moabites even in their country. They went overboard. Okay? Verse 25. And they beat down the cities on every good piece of land cast every man his stone, and filled it. And they stopped all the wells of water, and felled all the good trees. Only in Kirharaseth left they stones thereof, howbeit the slingers went about and smote it. Okay, and when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too sore for him, he took with him 700 men that drew swords to break through, uh, even the king of Edom, but they could not. Okay, now stop here. Should they have chopped down all the fruit trees? Yes or no? No. Very clearly not. We've been talking about this, right? They they made it so this kingdom could not drink, could not eat. Okay? Uh, What's the problem with this? First of all, in Deuteronomy, the Lord tells them, you should not go up to war against the Moabites. He says, distress not the Moabites, neither contend with them in battle. That's pretty clear. Okay? He says, you're, you're not supposed to mess with them at all. Secondly, they're not supposed to be taxing this nation at all. Um, the, the Lord says there in uh, Exodus that you're not supposed to oppress the stranger or the foreigner. They, they're, they're wrong on two counts. They're not even supposed to be messing with this nation, okay? let alone going to war with them, let alone starving them to death. This is bad, right? Okay? Here's the end of the story in verse number 27. This might be the, the strangest verse in the entire Bible. Verse 27, then he, that's the king of Moab, took his eldest son that should have reigned in his stead and offered him for a burnt offering upon the wall. And there was great indignation against Israel, and they departed from him and returned to their own land. Whoa, what is going on there? Okay, they had pushed these people to the absolute brink. Okay, they had not only gone into a battle that they should never have fought, they went way, way overboard, okay? stopped all their wells, cut down all their fruit trees to the point where this pagan king, he's like, the only option I have left, he's on top of his big wall. He takes his one and only son, puts him on the wall, and sacrifices him to his pagan god. Like, he, he had put, uh, they had pushed him way too far, yes? yes? Very, very bad. It says that great wrath, indignation came out And all of the Israelites retreated and went back. You know whose wrath that was? The Lord's. He was not happy. Why? Because the nation that was supposed to be a light to the whole world had pushed that nation so far to the brink. Do you think they're a good Christian testimony? (laughs) Do you think the king of Moab is thrilled to get saved now? No. Uh, Israel's acting like a pagan nation. Yes? yes? When we treat people who are doing us wrong, Ooh, or people that, um, like they're, they're in the wrong, okay? They're, they're, there's an issue. There's something that we need uh, to, to settle and, 
and, um, and, and figure out when we go way overboard, we're not, again, keeping their eternity in mind. It's our own self-interest. Right, a lot of times it's our own ego when we chop down the fruit trees. Amen. You see? I'm almost done here. Um, so the illustration I want to use is that there's a huge difference between pruning a tree and cutting it down. Yes. Pruning is the whole point of cutting and pruning is to ensure that it's going to bring more fruit, right? Right? So you're doing a necessary cutting, just the bare necessary minimum to ensure that something good is going to come of this. When you chop it down, you're just angry, right? Uh, you, you, you just don't care about this uh, tree anymore. That's the idea. Okay. Um, that kind of thing should not be normal operating procedure for a Christian. Amen. We can't be professional woodsmen. Amen. <laughs> we're just great at chopping down trees. And in, in conversations with people, we're carrying around like verbal grenades, right? And um, someone says something we don't like, someone says something we don't agree with, their political view is off, and we need to correct it. And so we're just kind of throwing grenades <laughs> everywhere we go. Okay, what happens? We're not a Christian witness. They're not going to listen to us and showing them the Romans road. Okay, when we need to correct every single issue at work. Okay, when uh, when your unsaved coworkers and your unsaved boss, there's some there's some problem that needs fixing. Again, you have two choices. Okay, you can fix it with a scalpel, or you can you can blow up the house. And, uh, you know, you kill the mosquito, but, you know, no home to live in. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, this is not just, you know, a thing that the Israelites faced way back when. This is me and you every day that we make a choice, right? Um, Cutting down the fruit trees or not, okay? We can ensure and we can try to have um, a situation, a relationship bear fruit again, or we can ensure it never does, right? When... um, uh, when, when you're talking with your a spouse, a husband and wife can ha- be having a, uh, an argument, and, and maybe it's something that really does need to be addressed, okay? Like, these, these things happen, just like, you know, battles happened back then. Okay, arguments happen in marriages, in, in relationships, okay? And so you can come into that thinking, I want to restore this relationship back to the way it should be, and that changes how you approach the whole thing. Or, okay, you can bring up every single wrong thing your spouse has ever done, okay, and say, call them every name you can think of. And at the end of that conversation, you have crossed a line that it may be very hard to recover from, okay? You've chopped down the fruit tree. Are you following what I'm saying, this principle, this idea? Okay, so before you go to battle, okay, before you attempt to fix this thing, in, in Israel's case back in 2 Kings, right, they shouldn't have gone to battle at all. And that's the first thing we have to consider. We have to ask ourselves, um, does this battle need to be fought? Amen. Okay? Amen. Does this battle need to be fought now? In the heat of the moment while I'm absolutely ticked off? Amen. It's good. Not a good idea, right? No, it's not. Okay. Um, uh, am I partly to blame for this battle in the first place? Right? Or am I so full of myself that I think I alone have the truth and my perspective alone is right and I'm here to correct you? Oh, 
right? Uh, that, that, that's never, that never goes uh, very well, right? Um, so, have I sought the word of the Lord? When, when this king goes to Elisha, he says, now, I just want to make sure it's okay we go into battle here. And Elisha says, well, here's what's going to happen. Notice the king doesn't say, yeah, 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 but wait, 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 should we? I, I understand what's going to happen, but like, should we do this? Amen. Sometimes when we read God's word and we just want an answer, we settle for a surface level answer that kind of justifies our decision already. You see? Amen. When we probe God's word and we seek God's heart and we say, what do you want, to, want me to do in this really difficult situation because I don't want to lose this person uh, uh, in a relationship, I, I, I want things to be better here, but I don't want to blow it up. I need your help, but I need wisdom. That's very, very different than looking at verses where it's like, yep, I, I see an example here of where someone got even. That's what I'm going to do, <laughs> right? We're kind of picking and choosing a little bit. Have I sought the word of the Lord? And then have I seen only what I uh, want to see? We'll, we'll stop here. When we get to the New Testament, okay, Jesus was willing to be cut by his enemies in order to make his enemies and his friends family. Jesus taught, love your enemies. Do good to them that despitefully use you and persecute you. And say all manner of evil against you falsely. Rejoice. Whoa, why? Because you're trying to win that person. Okay? And you're not going to win that person by cutting down the fruit tree. The Lord always deals with me and you with a goal of restoration and redemption. That's God's heart. And it's shown in this law of the fruit trees. I'm hope, hopefully I'm not so abstract that you didn't get the point tonight. Uh, it's a really great principle for us to take yeah. home. Amen. And in every situation, well, when there's a question mark, I'm going to have to confront this person, this situation. There's two ways of going about it. One is ethical, one is godly. And one is sinful, and one is wrong. And we want the heart of God when we make decisions. Let's pray.